Warning, the following podcast may be harmful to your marriage or relationships if used in an attempt to change anyone but yourself. Are you that old buddy? <laughs> This episode is an interview with my son. The interview is meant to be something that can help us all as parents and as spouses. I ask him questions about what I did right and well as a father and a husband, but also what I did not do so well. So the first 10 minutes that I listened to uh, this on the playback, I was just cringing all over because I thought if I was somebody listening to this for the first time, I would think this guy is a self-absorbed, arrogant jerk. And by this guy, I mean me, John Anderson. But I hope you listen to those first 10 minutes and find something that's useful to you. But I think even more importantly, we get into the parts that uh, my son reveals are not things I did well as a husband and father. And I think we can learn from those two. So please enjoy and cringe with me as we listen to me and my son, Connor. Okay, this is uh, John Anderson. Welcome to another episode of Relationship Rewire. My guest today is somebody who's pretty near and dear to me. It's my only son, my middle child. Uh, No longer a child, though. He's 28 years old now. And this is Connor Anderson. He lives about 250 miles away from me. He went off to college and got a bachelor's degree in psychology, and now he's in the business world and is not yet married, may never be, I don't know, but he's got a pretty serious girlfriend who just moved uh, from out of town to finally live in the same city again, and uh, so he's pretty excited about that. Well, uh, any what else am I leading out, Connor? Anything they need to know about you? Uh, just that I'm uh, the smartest one in the family. Oh, yeah, I forgot. It's the smartest one. And the only redhead in the family. And what else? Oh, yes. we're not. I'm not sure he's mine. <laughs> Joanna swears he is, but uh, I think if you look at him, you can definitely tell he's mine. But he's a taller than me and smarter than me and better looking than me and all that good stuff. Okay, so what the reason I, I have you on here, and I told you already, but uh, for those listening, I wanted to, I'm, I'm trying to kind of uh, interview each of my children. The biggest reason is I want to have their input on their perspective on what I did well as a father, what I didn't do well, what I could have done differently. So I'm just going to kind of ask you questions uh, about that and uh, you be as candid as you want. And if you say anything that that might get me thrown in prison, then I will edit that out. I'm going to try to make it as authentic as can be. I want people to really uh, know what's going on underneath as as much as they can. I'm trying to be real as I can. So here we go. You ready? Ready. Okay. So well, let's just start out with uh, w- w- overall, what was your experience growing up in our household with me as your dad and the husband of your mom? Um, I, I guess I hear a lot of people's stories about the way they grew up, and I realize how uh, blessed I was to have a... Uh, father and, and and mother and household and upbringing that um, was big on communication and we talked a lot and there weren't subjects that were off limits. Um, we talked through struggles we had. We talked through headbutts we had. We talked through disagreements, discipline. We didn't lack for communication. Um, and so we probably talked more than other families. I think uh, something that was unique to disciplines, especially with you more so than mom, is there was a lot of discussion before action. 
Um, I always understood where y'all stood. I, I might not have agreed with it, but I, I uh, was given a clear explanation of um, y'all's values, y'all's beliefs, uh, why y'all were parenting the way y'all were parenting. Yeah, I would, I would say I was raised with an outgoing therapist. <laughs> you th- you consider me outgoing? Yes, I, I think me and you are pretty similar in the way that we really value our alone time and, and we can be drained by human interaction quicker than other people and we burn out a little bit quicker and need to go recharge by ourselves. But I also think we both thrive or maybe step up to outgoing situations. We step up to social interactions and and we do really well. And then people would describe you as someone who is very sociable when you're around people. People would describe you as someone who is good at social interaction. It's maybe not, maybe you might not be super extroverted, but you're equipped in, in, you do well at social human interaction. <laughs> I will tell you, it is, uh, I have to work at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have to work at it. Uh, no. And, and, and for the most part, I enjoy it when I do, but yeah, I, I like, like what you said, um, that it, it does tend to drain me quicker than for sure. Mom, who's very extroverted. Okay. Well, so get let's get a little bit more specific let's start with uh me with mom what's something that you saw uh me doing regularly or just maybe not necessarily regularly but you know more than once that that you think no that's not the way that you should deal with mom or what's something that you didn't like about or that the way that i was a husband to your mom well, I'll preface my answer by saying a few things about you. Um, you and mom growing up were big on um, not fighting. And fighting is the wrong word because that might give some people the idea that it was yelling or or violent or whatever. But that was non-existent in our household except maybe for me. Um, but <laughs> you and mom arguing, um, y'all made a big point not to do that in front of us. And so my answer to this might make it seem like I have delusions of grandeur about you and that I think you were perfect and you didn't do anything wrong. Um, I, I know that you and mom had disagreements. and I know that you had your shortcomings in how you dealt with mom and how you approached a marriage. Um, but y'all did a really good job of, of creating a household that felt safe for your kids, that... Um, showed us that you and mom were a team that showed us that y'all were on the same page, um, that y'all very much loved each other, were in love with each other. And so I know there's a lot that I didn't see. And I'm also 10 years now removed from living with y'all from being in y'all's household and, and little, little instances and memories kind of, kind of go away. But something that I can say, maybe you did too much. And if I were your wife, this probably, it probably wouldn't be too much for me, but for someone like mom, um, someone who got a little exasperated with it at times and someone who didn't always appreciate, uh, the humor that me and you enjoy, I think maybe you could have been sarcastic too often, sarcastic Mm. at times that she didn't want you to be sarcastic, sarcastic at times that, um, came across as biting to her, um, And so that's that's something that I thought of. I really did have to rack my brain though for that answer. Um, I think I think you're pretty much uh, the model for for husband and how husbands should approach a marriage. Uh, But like I said, I do know that you have things that you could have done better, um, but they don't stand out big in my mind. And uh, you and mom did a really good job of um, keeping y'all strife behind closed doors. Well, you know, a couple of things I want to say about that. The because mom and I, we we still disagree about you know things, probably on a daily basis. But uh, we we do try to talk them out. We we didn't want to shelter you from you guys from that we don't have any disagreements or um, don't see things that 
eye to eye, but we did try to make sure, like you said, a united front. When we realized we disagreed about something that we needed to, to do with the any of you, uh, that we got on the same page so that we didn't set you any of you up for being able to <laughs> play us against each other, you know. As I probably and, would have. <laughs> um the, uh, the the sarcasm thing uh, that is something that can be way more damaging than uh, it may seem like something not that big a deal, but it's it uh, it it's hurt mom a lot, and uh, and I would love to say that I am no longer sarcastic with mom, but I'm I'm in recovery. <laughs> I realize uh, for a long time I didn't realize how much damage sarcasm can do, and uh, um, I, I, I have realized it can be very damaging. Mostly just from seeing other how how it affects uh, other couples when one is real sarcastic to their or both are sarcastic to each other. Hmm. It's it's like um, you know it's it's like a paper cut, but a thousand paper cuts can really yeah. hurt. Yeah. You know, most of the time. Sometimes it's it's more like a jab with a shank in the in the side, but mm. yeah. Okay. Well, what about me as a as a father? And it it could be, you know, you, you may be thinking about me as a father to you, but how about just a father in general? Maybe you saw s- some things that stuck out with how you how I I fathered parented either of your sisters as well. Um, man, I don't know if you're going to walk away from this podcast with a, with a big inflated head, but (laughs) it's as far as how you parented us, all three of us. And again, I struggled to think of things that you didn't do well or things you should have done less or more. That's a hard answer for me to uh to come up with but as far as parenting you you really have forgotten your childhood (laughs) Uh, well like i said it's 10 years removed since i really felt like you tried to parent me and so maybe maybe i'm struggling to remember some of the smaller things but i really do i mean i can remember coming right out of high school and and me struggling to find my way and people asking about how i was brought up and even then my answer was kind of the same. I don't, I don't know if my parents parented wrong. I don't, I can't think of anything that they could have done better. Um, and that's as far as how you approached all three of us, parenting all three of us. Uh, as far as parenting me and a child like me, who was more defiant, who was stubborn, who was going to do what he wanted, regardless of what you said. Um, I think maybe there could have been, some looser boundaries on certain things. And anytime I tell this answer to people, cause I hear, I get this question a lot. Um, what are you going to do different than your parents? And I tell them this answer. Anybody has kids is like, Oh, as soon as you have kids, you're going to think differently. Uh, but I was raised around a lot of other people who the boundaries that I'm going to describe here in a minute, uh, they were raised with and they turned out to be, just fine, perfect human beings who value the things that I hope my kids will value one day. And I just think with someone like me giving me more restrictions, didn't get me to toe the line. Didn't, you know, you put a fence around me and it didn't make me go, okay, I'm going to stay in this fence. It just made me want to hop the fence more. And so I think if (laughs) I could have had my boundaries expanded a little bit, um, then we could have discussed those things and, and it wouldn't have created in me. And I don't want to say this is your fault. It was, it was my choice is my fault, but it wouldn't have created a um, air of deception that I think I wore a lot in our household with you and mom. I hid so much of what I was doing and who I was and things I was into. And it just, it, it in some ways uh, made me a liar. And I, and I developed a habit of just lying to you guys. Um, So with all that said, the things that I would change is just little things like what movies I could see, um, maybe who I could hang out with. Uh, I remember having to ask to see PG-13 movies until I was 16, and I couldn't go see certain movies with friends, um, and I had to ask you guys about them. And, And 
like I said, that's probably fine for my sisters, Abby and Anna. If you told them they couldn't watch a movie, they didn't feel embarrassed by it to tell their friends that they couldn't go see that. And they went and saw something different. Uh, but for me, that was a big source of embarrassment to tell my friends who could go see whatever um, that I couldn't go see Were the Millers or, you know, some just a lighthearted, not anything super rough PG-13 movie comedy. Um, and so I just... After a few times of asking you guys and if I could go see a movie and being told no, I just, just started, started, to, yeah, started to lie and I was going to go see something else. Once again, you had my best interest at heart. You weren't trying to put your thumb down on me and uh, be restrictive just to be restrictive. You wanted me to view good things and you um, didn't want my eyes and my heart and my brain to take in taking bad things. So I totally understand it, but I went and saw everything you didn't want me to see anyways. Um, yeah. and you didn't know about it <laughs> and it created a, a, a sense of, or an, a, a habit of deception in me. And so I think there was maybe a happy medium. I'm not saying you should have let me go and see anything, but I think maybe there should have been some things that you could have looked at and gone, man, I really don't want him to see this movie. But if I say he can, then it's something we can discuss later. And I can yeah. ask him about what he saw and, and why that's good and why or why that's bad and, and um, why we're not going to live the way that people live in the movies. Hey there, listeners. This is John Anderson. Real quick, I want to tell you about something I'm excited about, and it will help you tremendously. It's my new book, The Acceptance. It's the culmination of many years of my work with marriages and relationships. It's subtitled, What Brings and Keeps Lifelong Love. The acceptance gets to the core of what drives us to look for a lifelong mate, and how that drive continues to play out in all our relationships, especially with our spouse. The acceptance also exposes the myths that interfere with our relationships and provides practical applications for everyday use. I think you will find it to be one of the most unique and thought-provoking books you've ever read on relationships. You can get the hardback, paperback, and ebook versions on Amazon. Just search for The Acceptance by John R. Anderson. Now back to the show. And, uh... I don't know if you remember much, but uh, I just didn't have friends over much. You yeah. and mom were loved by my friends. Y'all were some of my favorite, uh, some of my friends' favorite parents, but we never came over much. Y'all were around them a lot when it was, you know, everybody was together. Or so many of my friends were close family friends of y'all's, and so we were all around together. But when it came time for just the boys to hang out, nobody ever wanted to come over to the Andersons. When it, when it was spend the night weekend, nobody wanted to spend the night at the Andersons because we were y'all were so restrictive. You and, knew it was uh, going to be hard to sneak out at our house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but who knows? You know, maybe if maybe if we could have come over to the Andersons and watched and rented the movie we wanted to rent, then maybe it would have been fine to be at the Andersons, and then maybe <laughs> we wouldn't have gone and done something worse. You, you know what I mean? If, yeah. if y'all could have let us be there with our boundaries stretched a little bit, then maybe we wouldn't have gone over to, I won't name any families, but maybe we wouldn't have gone over to somebody else's house where we didn't have any boundaries and we could have done whatever we wanted. Yeah. Um, I.e. sneak out and go pool hopping and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, um, I, I think um, one of the things sometimes that's as a parent that's in the back of your mind is how other parents are judging you as a parent. Hmm. You know, I, I think maybe part of it was um, we didn't want to be known as the parents whose house you got to do those things at. Yeah. You know, and so sometimes those decisions were not made purely out of our care and love for you, but out of our fear of how we might be perceived uh, by others. Mm. Um, but it, yeah, and you you definitely were. A, a lot different. Uh, Abby and Anna were more compliant, and um, and you probably are more like me. Just, uh, you know, I was just, especially as a teenager, just go out and and you know, t 
try try every adventure I could think of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I, I made mistakes and got hurt and got uh, in trouble and and things like that. But I was the same way. I don't think, uh, you know, the, I did have some concern about getting in too much trouble that would reflect on my family. Mm -hmm. But... I there nobody was going to stop me from having my adventures. <laughs> I was going to mm -hmm. find some ways to have adventures, mm -hmm. and so yeah, I wish I I wish I would have um, parented differently in that. I, I wish I would have given you more uh, room to explore explore life. I guess is is the way I would say it. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and and I can freely admit that man, I don't know how that's going to play out when I have kids because. I'm also thinking if I have another kid like me, like, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if he wants to have any adventure, he's if he's determined to take any adventure he can find anyways, then how do I curb any of that? How do I make sure he doesn't wander too far? And so I don't know. I, I don't necessarily think you did something wrong there. It's just something that I've always thought of thinking back to a lot of my struggles and, and and things that I struggled with and turbulence in the household between me you and mom or me and you and mom. Um, I think a lot of it stemmed early on in deception and a lot of it stemmed early on in, in me not sharing with y'all what I was doing and, and uh, things that I was getting into. And I think a lot of that can be traced back to uh, me feeling like I couldn't just be a normal kid. And I and I was sh sheltered so much more than a lot of my peers, and held to such a higher standard than a lot of my peers, and um, so I just started to lie about about the things that I was doing. And I think, mm. and and I don't know, maybe you, maybe you and mom, if we went back and did it all over, and y'all give me more boundaries, maybe I get into worse trouble than I did. Who knows? But that's just something I've often wondered if if I had the ability to um, do a little of the things I, I wanted to do in light of you and mom and, and not hide it, then I wonder how things would have been different. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of some of the stuff that, you know, that I did that affected, well, I think everything we do affects everybody. It affects others around us, whether it's in a, for good or, or bad, negative, or positive, but, uh, you know, I'm thinking of, for example, when I got bit by the rattlesnake mm -hmm. <laughs> and spent 11 days in the hospital and, you know, tons of money that my parents had to uh, put into that, not to mention all the, the worry and the, uh, and the anxiety that that caused from almost dying, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was out, that was from me having an adventure, but being careless. And I, I didn't, I don't know if it was instilled in me enough about how my actions affect others. So in other words, I, it was years after that, that I, and when I say years, at least a decade, if not more before I realized, you know, that caused my parents a lot of, uh, it cost them a lot hmm. time, emotions, money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I never really said to them uh, until years later, hey, I hope you forgive me for for mm -hmm. all of that, because mm -hmm. I, I'm just now realizing, you know, that that it affected you negatively. You know, I just uh, was thinking at the time how it affected me and not others. Yeah, I I'd still definitely struggle, struggle to to think of how um, my doings affect others for sure. Uh, yeah. You seem you seem to have a better grasp on that than I did, than I do. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, what is something that, if anything, that I did well as a husband? Man, you did a, you did a lot well, but one of the things that I have always thought of when I think of you as a husband, and I think it's a pretty good picture of who you are and, and how you love is uh, your feet rubs with mom. 
for as, as long as I can remember my entire life. Um, and yeah, there's a night here to there when, when she asks at, you know, 1130 PM. Um, but I'd say 80 to 90% of nights, uh, mom falls asleep with you rubbing her feet. I guess part of that was part of my awe in that was that I hate touching other people's feet. And I always hated <laughs> when mom would ask me to rub her feet. Um, part my, of my awe in that. My grandmother all- used to always ask me to rub her feet. <laughs> yeah. I hated it. <laughs> Just not for me. Um, part of my awe in that is also I'm a big physical touch person and current and past girlfriends and and my sisters and my mom and aunts. How many always- girlfriends do you have currently? <laughs> my current girlfriend and past <laughs> girlfriends and my sisters and my mom and my aunts have, have kind of often described me as a dog. And I, that kind of sounds bad, but, and I, that fact that I love to be, I love a belly rub. I love to have my back scratched. I love to have my uh, hair played with. Um, I'm a big physical touch person in that way where I love to be, uh, massaged and so maybe that was part of why that seemed like such an act of love witnessing you do that every night for mom to rub her feet until she fell asleep I think that spoke a lot to me and I think also it was not obvious in the way that you you made it seem like it was a chore you didn't like it but you didn't him and haw about it but it I think everyone in the room in in the house knew that rubbing it wasn't on feet, my top of my priority list yeah it wasn't one of your favorite things to do but you did it every night um you rubbed your feet every night and uh i think that's a that's a pretty big picture to describe how you were as a husband and that you were um, a servant that you were loving uh that you put other people's needs before yours um yeah i i think that's one of the coolest things you did as a husband or do as a husband Oh, mom can't hear this because I don't do it every night. <laughs> I know, I know you don't do it every night, but but uh, you do it enough to where she feels she can ask every night. Okay. Yeah, that may. I, I need. I need to offer it more. I uh, I think when she feels most loved is when I offer before she asks. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The evidence is overwhelming. Reputable and proven marriage intensives have a far higher success rate than counseling or therapy for marriages that are struggling or even failing. I myself am a counselor. I earned my master's degree in marriage and family therapy, and I see multiple couples in my office on a weekly basis. But unless it's premarital counseling, I don't work with a couple until after they have been through a proven intensive. I've now led more than 126 such intensives over the past 15 years. The University of Washington found that only 17% of couples in crisis who start with counseling will still be married just two years later. However, two separate studies have shown that at least 72% of the couples who have attended an intensive that I conducted are still married. You can't find a better choice for turning your marriage around than our intensive Love Reboot. Come join the thousands who have attended a Love Reboot and are now experiencing a thriving, vibrant marriage. You can find us on the web at growinglovenetwork.org. That's growinglovenetwork.org. Okay, what about as a as a father? What you did well as a father. Um Kind of, and, and you know, I'm not asking these questions like to to talk good about me, but what I'm I'm wanting people hopefully to hear something that that they can use and yeah and, and yeah. so yeah something that I really appreciated in the way you approached to being a parent was uh, when it came time to discipline or reprimand, uh, there was always communication. We talked about what we were being punished for. Um, we were given an opportunity to speak for ourselves. I prefer the word discipline. Discipline is over-recommend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or consequences. Consequences, yeah. Um, we were always I, allowed to speak. I definitely didn't ever want to punish you. 
I didn't, well, and I don't mean to say like, this is going to hurt me more than is you. I, I didn't consider what actions we took when we believed that you needed to be disciplined. I didn't think of them as punishment. I thought of them as consequences, you know, handing, giving, we tried our best to give you consequences that matched real life and, and were fair. But so anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I agree. And, And the only consequence that you ever gave without without any discussion was when I was a little kid you would you would dole out timeout um, and, and timeout didn't come with a preceding discussion it didn't come with um, dialogue because timeout was a chance for us to cool off and to think about what we had done and then following up a short timeout and then there'd be dialogue and discussion, but any, any other punishment you ever, sorry, not punishment consequence. We always talked about it. And uh, usually it ended with you asking us why we did, why what we did was wrong. And so there was never a moment as a kid where I just felt like, uh, my my parents are parenting out of anger. My dad is just giving consequences out of anger. He's he's just cracking the whip and he's unwilling to listen or to hear. Uh, you always made sure that we talked about things. You always made sure that we understood why uh, your rules or um, your values had been violated and why they were important rules and why they were important values. And there wasn't ever... Uh, you weren't quick to react out of anger. Well, I'm feeling like a little bit. See, I always think of uh, being a grandfather so much better than being a parent. Uh-huh. Not just because you don't have to have you know ultimate responsibility, but but it's like a big do-over. And there's so much that uh, you wish you had done differently <laughs> later yeah. on. And you you know this because I. I mention it uh, probably at least a couple times a year. It's one of those, it, you you have these moments as a parent that you just you know you just really screwed up, uh-huh. and and you just you you know that they left some kind of scar, and you wish you could take them back. <laughs> but <laughs> um, and that one is the uh, when I took that little that grass that has the caterpillar looking top uh-huh. on it. And, uh-huh. and and uh, and had you put it on your tongue and say turkey turkey turkey, <laughs> and, uh-huh. and where it just every time you say it it goes further down your throat and you can't get it out and you kind of gag, and that look that you had uh, it's not fu- it's funny but it's not I mean it's funny between you and me but uh-huh. when I think of that look I, that on your face like total betrayal. I, <laughs> by the person you trusted most on this planet, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, that, that just hurts. And that, but that would be a one that's easier. F- I think I like to focus on that one because it's, it's less benign. It's more benign than some of the other ones that I, yeah. that I don't even want to talk about on here. <laughs> what, what are some things that stand out in to you that, um, just growing up, with me as a father and seeing me as a husband and, uh, or maybe not just growing up, but still. So this is not so much about, about what I did right or wrong, but just kind of things that were instilled in you that you want to make sure you do differently or, or some things that you do that, yeah, I want to instill that in my children or I don't want to instill that. I know one of them is you want to instill that they have, uh, that they don't need to uh, be so constricted that they have to sneak around you. But that would be one big one, right? <laughs> yeah. What else? I don't have a whole lot of things that I want to do different. I wanted some of the things that I want to instill in my children that I that I think you did well, or that I want to mimic and copy is humility and the ability to say I was wrong, um, and the importance of that. Um, I think the importance of admitting our faults and asking for forgiveness is huge. That's something that you and mom taught us very early on that uh, sorry is for accidents and for asking for forgiveness is 
is for a wrong that you've done. Um, so sorry is for accidentally knocking the cup off the table. Uh, asking for forgiveness is for harsh words you used. Uh, and so that's something I want to instill in my children, the humility to admit their wrongdoing and the humility and, and heart to ask for forgiveness and, and put that in the other person's hands and say, I know I did wrong, um, and I'm willing to do what I can to make it right. Um, I think that's huge. Uh, that's not something I encounter much in, in the rest of the world, um, even with people that I highly respect. Uh, families that I know value all the things that we value and, and, and value the things that I think are important. That's still not something that I encounter much in the outside world. And I think it's a huge um, tool for relationships that, that fosters uh, love and trust and growth. Um, and so, the, yeah, the, the humil humility and ability to ask for forgiveness, um, I think, is a big one. You know, I, uh, I'm just sitting here and I'm, the listeners can't hear this, but I'm, I'm, we're doing this over Skype. So I'm seeing your face as well. And I just was kind of looking at you while you're talking there. And I was thinking about how you are with your nephew. Mm. Uh, you know, you don't have children yet, but you live about a mile away from your nephew and you almost daily take time to, to play with him. Hmm. And when you're asked to do it, not when you choose to, but when you're asked to like babysit him or just, Hey, can you watch him for a little bit while your sister does the laundry or something? Mm -hmm. Uh, you not only don't balk at that, you totally throw yourself into the act of being with him hmm. when, when, so it's it's like you choose to have joy in that moment. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that's going going to be really big for you as a father, mm -hmm. is that even when you don't feel like uh, at the moment being with your child because you got other things on your mind or you're busy doing something else, but when you realize that I need to step in here, you don't, you know, you don't kind of. I don't see you be, being the father who's going to go, okay, I'll watch him. And you set up, set him up in front of a, some kind of screen so you can do whatever you're doing. You're going to drop everything and, and engage with that child. And uh, Unless there's a Spurs game on. Unless there's a Spurs game on. Uh, I'll train quick. He'll, he'll want to watch the Spurs game. <laughs> he'll train quick. You're always allowed to watch Spurs, even if it's past your bedtime on a Spurs. <laughs> No, but that, that's something I, I learned from you. Um, so much of my playtime as a kid, you were involved in. You invested probably way more money than we could ever afford in, in my toys, in, in my Legos, in my Star Wars figures, and, and on and on and on. I, I, I walk around department stores, Target and Walmart and stuff now, and I see the price of some of these things. And yeah, sure, they've gone up, but I know a little bit of our financial situation growing up. And I, I can't believe what you invested in my play. And then not only the, the money you spent on that, but the time you spent playing with those things with me as well. I, almost all my memories of Legos you're involved in. And, um, you, you never hesitated to get down on the floor and play with us. Uh, even even cartoons, you know, I don't know many dads who enjoy watching cartoons with their children, but our favorite cartoons you got invested in and enjoyed as well. You you probably liked SpongeBob more than we did, <laughs> but you you know, I know many dads who wouldn't tolerate their little children's shows, and and not to not to say that they would turn them off or and ask their children to watch something different, but they wouldn't sit in the room and watch. Um, I don't know what shows are big now, Paw Patrol or, you know, Teletubbies or whatever, but you sat and watched what we wanted to watch with us. Um, you watched Disney movies with us. You did those things with us. You played Legos with us. You built forts with us. You um, played G.I. Joes with me. You, on and on and on. You were very involved in our play. And that's, that's something I for sure learned from you. Uh, I never thought of that, that, yeah, investing in your play <laughs> – 
that is that is important. I never thought. I, I guess I've never really thought of it that that way. That I was investing in your play, but I think investing in your child's play is in, investing in their creativity hmm. and in, investing. But uh, I, I have to tell you a little secret. I still enjoy playing <laughs> with <laughs> with toys with little kids. I still yeah. enjoy. It's, yeah, it's, we, it's, yeah, we've been building Legos recently. I, yeah. I like being a little boy sometimes, Mm -hmm. a lot of times. Okay, I'm going to make this short and to the point. The podcast you're listening to, Relationship Rewire, is a free service to the public provided by Growing Love Network, a nonprofit organization. That means we don't make a profit. In fact, to be able to do what we do, which is to provide top-notch innovative help for marriages, We rely on donors so that everyone can have access to the help they need, regardless of the ability to pay. Won't you take a moment, hit the pause button, and go to growinglovenetwork.org. Click on the donate button and give what you can. If you're not sure about it at this moment, hit pause anyway, just for 15 seconds, and ask yourself if this is what you should do. Go ahead. I'll wait. Hello, this is Max Locato. You're listening to Relationship Rewire. Well, we've gone about 45 minutes, and this is usually about as uh, try to so I don't lose too many listeners with uh, long drawn out <laughs> speeches. Gotcha. But I wanted to close with one thing. Um, I want to ask you uh, about your faith. Okay. Um, so. You and I both, at least at this time in our life, and I think most of the time of my life and yours too, but we've attempted to to be uh, faithful followers of Jesus. Hmm. Uh, there's some things, though, that when I look back at how I tried to transfer that to you and to your sisters, that I wish I'd have done differently. I wish I would have, like you're talking about the the boundaries. I wish I would have given you more freedom to realize that you didn't have to take on my theology for me to love and accept you, uh, that, or even maybe even sometimes people think, uh, children think that even if it's subconsciously that if I don't have the same belief set of beliefs as my parents, then they're going to think I'm something less or something worse. Mm. Uh, I, I wish I had made that clear. But what, what, uh, in brief, what do you think you'll do to help your own children have a faith or not do? Well, I can think of two things, and, and maybe you're not even remembering this second big thing that I'll t- talk about in a second. Um, but the first thing I'll say that I think you did really well, um, that some people would be afraid and go, Oh no, that, that could push people away from Christianity or that gives them room to be influenced by other walks of life or other faiths. Um, which I, I totally disagree. And I think it does the exact opposite, but you and mom, when viewing people outside of our circles, outside of our faiths, outside of our beliefs, uh, you and mom never talked in the slightest bit negatively about um, other people, other beliefs. You and mom always were the most loving to people who were different than us. You and mom were always accepting. Uh, you and mom always found things to point out good about um, other people. And I think specifically with Christianity in America, the opposite of that is what pushes people away from Christianity. I think many children that I hear, many peers that I hear that grew up in the church but no longer want anything to do with it, a lot of their reasons is, man, my parents were hateful. And I viewed the way my elders uh, treated people who are different than me, and that just doesn't line up with anything I've ever read in the Bible. And so I'm confused about Christians and God, and I don't know how that that they can claim to be Christian and, and that, you know, it just creates a sense of confusion in them um, mm-hmm. that so many Christians don't act like the way we think Christians are supposed to act like towards other people. Um, and so I, I think treating 
other religions and other faiths and other beliefs as something icky and scary actually doesn't solidify your children's faith. I think it does the opposite. And so I think that's something you and mom did really well, um, is that you modeled Christ in that way and that you were loving towards other people, you were accepting towards other people, and you discussed those things with your children. Um, another thing that I think is huge that maybe you don't even remember this. I was talking to some with somebody about this the other day, but once I got into high school, I wasn't required to go to church. Uh, you and mom didn't require me to go to church. You didn't require me to go to, to, um, Bible class or youth group or whatever you would call it. It wasn't something y'all, I remember having a discussion with y'all that y'all said, uh, it's now up to me whether or not I want to go. So of course, as a kid, y'all took me to church, but as a little kid, it didn't feel like you're being forced to go to church. You're just going with mom and dad and, and same as a middle schooler. Then once I got into high school, I was given that option, and I still went every week. Um, I think towards the end of high school, I stopped going to youth group, but I still wanted to go to church. I still wanted to go to service. Um, so many of my friends were at church. It was a big point of social interaction for me, and it was comfortable, and, and, it, and I enjoyed it. Um, I did never dislike church. And yeah, maybe throughout most of my childhood growing up, uh, church wasn't faith for me. Uh, it was it was just church, but it was constantly watering the seeds that you had planted um, in me as a little kid. It was constantly fostering um, the beliefs that you and mom had instilled in me. And so maybe growing up, even when I wasn't forced to go to church and I still chose to go, I wasn't having a super spiritual experience. I wasn't owning my faith. I wasn't having a personal relationship with God, but I was still hearing good things. Um, I was still hearing sermons and being around good people, and and um, I think that all was big for me. Um, but yeah, you and mom, I don't know if you even remember that. Y'all didn't require me to go to church, and, and I never felt forced into church, and so therefore I think I always went. I never <laughs> didn't go. No, we just made it clear that you would be disinherited. <laughs> no, we didn't do that. Uh, no, yeah, we, we made a conscious effort there, and and. I don't remember having like a specific discussion saying from now on, it's your choice or something <laughs> like that, you know? Um, but we may, maybe we did. I don't know. Well, good. Yeah. I, I man, it's, well, we're going to, I'm going to be having another person on the podcast. That's going to be talking Well, She's written a book about that here pretty soon. And, uh, I'm like, as I was reading her book, I was like, Oh, Good. So that was okay that I <laughs> we did that. <laughs> that, saying, yeah, that's, that that's specific thing didn't didn't make us go to church. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I think that's important. Uh, nobody wants to do anything that they're forced to do. I mean, even think of your favorite dessert. If if you didn't get to choose when you wanted to eat that dessert, and you were just it was just forced upon you, and you didn't have a say in it, you eventually would come to resent that dessert. And so yeah. yeah. I, I That's think not point. being forced is good. I think you've been open and honest, and I'm, I, but I'm I'm still pretty sure that there's some things you could tell them about me that wouldn't land me in jail and and would make them their stomachs turn a little bit if they heard those things about me. <laughs> I but um, I I really appreciate your time, but I, I, and I, by the way, listeners, I call him Boogerf. Uh, I have called him that since he's about two, but. Um, Boogerth, I sure do love you. I love you too. Relationship Rewire is produced by Growing Love Network. Growing Love Network exists to revolutionize relationships for lifelong love. You can find us on the web at growinglovenetwork.org. We welcome your feedback on this or any of our episodes. Send us an email to relationshiprewire at gmail.com.